This episode brought to you by Progressive. Most of you aren't just listening right now. You're driving, cleaning, and even exercising. But what if you could be saving money by switching to Progressive? Drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average. And auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. Multitask right now. Quote today at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. National average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. All right. I want to talk to you guys about Matchstick Golf. Matchstick is a custom designer of ball markers based right here in Portland, Oregon. It was born out of its founder getting sick and tired of trying to find cool ball markers that weren't huge, heavy poker chips that didn't cost $300 on eBay. Matchstick's markers include one-eyed alligator from Happy Gilmore and a stack of cash that will have you putting for dough and birdies. Right now, we're offering you 15% off your first order at matchstickgolf.com with the promo code TURN15. That's T-U-R-N-15 at matchstickgolf.com. Set fire to the greens. It's time for discussion and interviews about the world of golf you won't hear anywhere else. Here are your hosts, Nick Heidelberger and Joe Simons. Hi, welcome to a very special Ryder Cup preview edition of At The Turn. Joe and Nick with you. Nick, I know you're all fired up for the Ryder Cup, aren't you? Dude, I love the Ryder Cup. Why? Why? It's it's so much more fun to consume. It's it's the best golf. Really? To watch. It is. You love nationalist events, though. Like, you love the Olympics. I know you dug the Solheim Cup, the President's Cup. You you love these competitions, don't you? I think I gravitate towards anything that's... To variety. It's different. But it's, it's, it's fun to see guys put in a situation that they're not... That they don't train for, like, all their life. Like, alternate shot is so much different than... Any yeah. other golf these guys do. I mean, they they don't approach golf from a team from a team concept standpoint. Ever. Alternate shot is so it, it puts you in such a strange situation because you don't play any of the shots you hit. Somebody else has to do that. Um, it's just so much different. And then you get the enthusiasm, you celebrating putts. Like, I don't care if Rory McElroy misses his birdie putt on the seventh hole on Thursday, like I, I really don't care. But in the Ryder cup, it feels like this could determine the, the, the cup. Like it, it feels like they could win this point. If they go through what three up, like there's no chance of the Americans coming back. And that's a point. And if they, if the point swings the other way, it's just so it's just, it's just constant momentum. I love it. Yeah. God, <laughs> I didn't know I was gonna get that fired up this early. I didn't either. I have to say your, your enthusiasm is moderately infectious i'm not gonna pour cold water all over you i'm just gonna sort of spritz you with it throughout the podcast i'm joe so what we're gonna do the plan is well the 
the plan is for you folks out there, we're going to rip off the U.S., the Europe teams, and then we're going to have a real-life gambling expert on the podcast because me and Nick have been losing you money for four years, so we're going to try to win you some money on the Ryder Cup. Then we're going to come back, talk about it from big picture. There's some research and numbers I want to throw out to you, Nick, and kind of talk about the Ryder Cup in totality. So with that, let's get to the U.S. team, captained by Steve Stricker, six automatic qualifiers. Those were Colin Morikawa, Dustin Johnson, Bryson DeChambeau, Brooks Kepka, who's a little gimpy at this point, and Justin Thomas, along with Patrick Cantlay. The six captain picks for Steve Stricker, Daniel Berger, Harris English, Tony Finau, Xander Shoffley, Scotty Scheffler, Jordan Spieth. Nick, who did I not say? You didn't You didn't say Captain America. I did not say Captain America. Patrick Reed, not on the team. That team is the highest ranked team in Ryder Cup history in the world ranking era. That's an average world ranking of nine. Which is insane team. to have 12 guys with an average rank of nine. How is that even mathematically possible? Uh, it, it, <laughs> I don't know, Nick, but it is. It's also one of the youngest teams in Ryder Cup history, average age under 30. So real quick on the Patrick Reed thing, and we'll dive more into it mm. perhaps a little bit later. Um, Takes will be made. Yes. After, <laughs> after Steve Stricker announced that Patrick Reed was not going to be on the team by his omission, obviously the media was asking him that was the first question they were asking him and he said he lost sleep over it and there were tweets put out there on twitter about it and several of the tweets that were critical of captain stricker one referring to him as a coward and others just criticizing the captain for leaving reed out reed or whoever runs his twitter account liked more than a dozen of those tweets including the ones that were disparaging of Stricker. Those tweets have since been unliked. Apparently, Patrick Reed went on a big spree of blocking people, unfollowing. So here you go. Patrick Reed. Why was he left off the team? Well, Reed has a 7-3-2 record in three Ryder Cup appearances, 3-0 in the singles round. None of his team victories came without Jordan Spieth, who in the most recent Ryder Cup in 2018 played all four team matches with Justin Thomas. Now, Patrick Reed was hospitalized with pneumonia instead of the tour championship that his life was in danger. And before the pneumonia, Reed was dealing with a left ankle injury, causing him to drop out of the Northern Trust in August. So that's why Stricker did not want to have him on the team. Do you have a real quick thought on Reed before we move on to Europe, Nick? Uh, no, my, I, there's no quick thought on that. I, I definitely want to touch Great. on it later, but um, it, it's not going to be quick. Great. So we'll save that for a little bit later. Again, the U.S. team, six rookies on this squad. Morikawa, Cantley, Berger, English, Shoffley, and Scheffler. Shoffley and Scheffler. I hope they're not paired together. That's going to be real tough for the announcers to deal with. Nick, the European team was finalized just yesterday. Nine automatic qualifiers for Padraig Harrington, the captain. Those are Rory McIlroy, Victor Hovland, Paul Casey, Matt Fitzpatrick, Lee Westwood, John Rahm, Tommy Fleetwood, Tyrrell Hatton, and Bern Wiesberger. Shane Lowry, Sergio Garcia, Ian Poulter were the three captains' picks. Wiesberger and Lowry, the only two rookies on the Europe side. Patrick Harrington making the decision. Well, frankly, the decision was pretty easy with the omission of one guy, Justin Rose, who we'll get to in a second. But Shane Lowry is an Irishman. The open champion, he's been in pretty good form, just missed out on points. You got to pick your guy from your own country. And then Sergio Garcia, 
the all-time leader in European history in Ryder Cup points, been in decent form, 25 and a half points in his career, and Ian Poulter with a decent 6-0 and record in singles matches. He's been the leading point getter for Europe three times in six appearances in the Ryder Cup. Even with somewhat spotty form, you can't leave Ian Poulter off this team. You just can't do it. He's he's had peaks and valleys, but pretty pretty safe pick for Patrick Harrington to take Ian Poulter over Justin Rose, wouldn't you say? Yeah, I am intimidated by this European squad. It looks really good. So the average official World Golf ranking, not exactly impressive at 29. The average age, 35. It's one of the oldest and lowest ranked European teams. But from a superstar perspective, that that's a scary roster. Like, if you were just to look at those two rosters and their it, accomplishments in their career, Europe is so much better than the U.S. For all the, the listeners out there who have never um, experienced golf and only know the NFL, this is a true... Brady versus Mahomes matchup. That's a great way to put it. Yeah, and the 44-year-old looked pretty good in February. So yeah, it could how, be how did Mahomes a- look in that Super Bowl? God, it's been so long, but I don't feel like it went very well. So real quick on Justin Rose. 41-year-old, he suited up for the Europeans in the last five Ryder Cups and has been very good as most Euros have been, earning 14 points since his first appearance in 2008. The former, excuse me, the former U.S. Open winner has slipped to 42nd in the world and has not won since 2018. So that's the hardest choice Harrington had, but I think it's much easier to justify picking your countryman and Shane Lowry, who was the Open champion recently, and picking those two other guys. Perfect timing for our guest. A man who is actually going to make you some money. Nick and I have been losing listeners' money for four years now. Patrick McDonald, writer for NBC Sports and Odd Shark. Patrick, thank you so much for blessing us with your presence. I mean, unbelievable timing. Can you guys uh, hear me all right? You sound fantastic. Patrick, oh, don't God. we don't even have to edit a thing, Patrick. This is incredible. You came in right at the perfect moment. So let's get right into it. You know, Nick and I try to give out some winners for the majors. We're, we're terrible at it. I think I'm 0 for 17 since the podcast started. Something Nick like that, hit, not to be specific, something in that ballpark. Yeah, Nick hit Morikawa last year in the PGA, so we're pretty happy about that. Okay. But for, for the Ryder Cup, you know, it's obviously a much different beast than a regular golf tournament. So what sort of bets can people look at? Should you look at trying to get the top points earner? Should you bet on the event itself? First of five points. And, and, and there's a lot of different bets out there for the Ryder Cup. Yeah, there are a ton of markets. I'm a firm proponent of just foregoing picking a side, right? I think you have the U.S. at minus 200 right now, which implies that they're going to win two out of three times, which I personally don't love, especially given kind of how they've performed the last decade or so in this event. So I'd need something in the minus 150 range, which is more 60% uh, probability there. But like you said, I love the top points getter. But if you go that direction, you kind of have to try to predict what you know Stricker or Harrington are going to do, right? You had... JT and Spieth in Paris, they played all five. Uh, I think JT went like four and one. He was a top guy for the U.S. Uh, and then Europe, I mean, they have no reservations about benching a guy if he isn't good. You had Olison, He only played once in Paris. Fitzpatrick played once at Hazeltine. Uh, but they also had a rookie in Fleetwood play in all five. He went four and one. And Molinari was eventually a top points getter since he won his singles match. So that's kind of the direction I'm going to go just because the numbers are bigger and I like to wager less money and win more as opposed to having to, you know, put 200 bucks down to win 100 for the U.S. side. 
that's not something I personally love. And, you know, given that I think the four balls first right in the morning Friday, uh, I mean, U.S. was up three to one in Paris before getting swept in foursomes in the afternoon. So there really isn't an opportunity there, you would think, to, you know, let's hope Europe gets up quick and then bet on the U.S. Uh, so I'm just off each side in general and kind of, you know, maybe match by match, that type of thing. I was going to say match by match because that seems like, you know, th- th- for a better like those lineups get get announced. You see these matchups like it, what's the live betting scene like you know, for for these matches when these lineups are out? Uh, so, I mean, it's pretty fluid. Uh, I mean, sports betting in general is just blown up. It's been pretty crazy to watch unfold. And you can bet like hole on hole by hole, like who's going to win, which is some really degenerate stuff. If you ask me bad behavior, <laughs> I've, I've seen like some bets out there. It's like, if you know, Scotty Scheffler going to hit this fairway and like people are betting it. It's like, who raised you? Like, come on, let's have some morals here. <laughs> um, but you know, for the most part, it's, uh, it's pretty fluid. They get those lines up pretty quickly. Uh, and it just really depends who the four guys are playing, right? I, I assume, you know, someone like JT and Spieth, if they get paired together again, they'll likely be, you know, decent favorites in every single one of their matches, as opposed to, you know, you trot Burn Weisberger out there, he's probably going to be a dog. So kind of depends what you like. From a stats perspective, like, is there are there things better should be looking at that, like, indicates a, a player's probability of success? Or is it is it just as random as it, as it appears to be from the couch? So round by round, the variations like very high. So that that's where it gets pretty tricky. But like going into a tournament, uh, like from a broad perspective, there's kind of three things that need to line up for me personally. It's the course fit, their current form, and the number that the sports book has given you. So of course, like whistling straights, right? You want to be long off the tee, you want to be a great iron player, and you want to you know put your butt off pretty much. Uh, I've listened to, you know, Harrington on golf today saying how like short games kind of mitigated out there in a sense, because the lies are so difficult that, you know, someone like Shane Lowry, who's, you know, he has phenomenal hands out there. He's one of the best short game players. He's, he's going to, uh, have trouble around the green. So that kind of brings him down to par compared to someone like, I don't know, like Colin Morikawa kind of struggles around the green from time to time, same as Scotty Scheffler. So you can kind of you know, weight that less around the green play for whistling straights and kind of rely on those birdie make birdie makers and long hitters, which uh, I think Stricker said when he was making his captain's pick, why he picked Scotty Shuffler, you know, he, he's long off the tee and he makes a crap load of birdies. So yeah. I think those guys know what they're doing when they're picking the captain's picks. Dude, I have to ask you because you brought it up. Someone who can put his butt off, not necessarily the longest off the tee, but Captain America. We haven't really dove into it yet, but his, I know it's kind of a, a crapshoot with the injury and the pneumonia, and maybe he's not in form, but don't you almost think it's safer to pick him and live with the result as opposed to omit him and then potentially lose with him not even being at Whistling Straits? That to me feels like a bigger risk from Stricker's legacy. I, I did see uh, I did see the tweet from your accounts, so I know you're in the Patrick Reed corner. Um, I wouldn't go that far, just when, when, <laughs> when it comes to international competitions. Fair enough, fair enough. Uh, I don't know if it was so much Stricker. Obviously, I'm speculating speculating here, but I think he really relied on JT and Spieth to make some of those decisions. And you had Reed in Australia. I mean, 
Peter Kessler punched a guy for Christ's sake. Uh, and then Is that what you Harris, want out of your Captain America? I'm, I mean, I love that enthusiasm, honestly. Like, if, if you're not doing that every match, like, get off the team. But <laughs> first, you got to make the team, obviously. Um, so you had that going on. And then you had in Paris with Spieth and Tiger and everything that went on there. So I think they're trying to change the guard this year, which I think is honestly just like a crap talking point in general, uh, me personally. And so I agree with you that it is risky and it's tough leaving him off, especially you would think the 12th guy on the team was Scotty Scheffler and it, it would have been Patrick Reed right there. But you kind of look to that Spieth and Scheffler, Texas connection, DJ Brooks and uh, Scotty all share the same agent. So that could have been a possibility right there. And I think given his current form and the course fit, it's kind of, it, it wasn't enough for him to get on the team, but you kind of look at what Europe did with Poulter and you could say, you know, Reed could be his counterpart essentially. And he doesn't have the form, you know, he missed a cut at Wentworth. He certainly doesn't have the course fit. And they left off Justin Rose, who was top five at the 25 or 2015 PGA championship just shot 65 at Wentworth on Sunday for Poulter, who's been lights out in these type of settings. So you kind of see right then and there that they're kind of taking two different avenues. And, you know, it's tough to side with the European or uh, the United States sides, given the history. So you could be right where, you know, this pick does bite Stricker, you know, in the butt down the road. I a hundred percent agree that it's, Stricker announced the decision, but I think those guys in the locker room really influenced the decision-making process. Yeah. I mean, 100%. I, I was going to mention it later on, but people forget that Patrick Reed and Harris English were college teammates at Georgia and had this epic falling out. And then they played against each other for the national championship. When Reed was at Augusta state, they were the last match that determined who won the national championship. And, there was a lot. I think there was a lot of bad blood there. And even if they say that the hatchet has been buried, I think that would have been, given Patrick Reed's history, just even tougher to to add that into the fire and, and have him with with the with these guys. Yeah, I totally agree. I think the counterpoint, if you are in the Reed corner, is the team room's so messed up already. Like, how much more damage could he do? Uh, like, you know, I saw a tweet. It was like. Cantley hates Bryson, DJ hates Brooks, Brooks hates Berger, and just like so on and so on. So what more could, you know, Reed being in that room really do to the, <laughs> you know, team chemistry? He might actually make some friends in that team room. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, Patrick, I have some picks that I want to run by you. And Let's do it. You mentioned my boy earlier. Am I just lighting money on fire if I consider Bern Beesberger because he's just not going to get the opportunity? His number is so huge compared to other players who I feel like will get the same amount of matches as him. And my thought process is, because I see him as 20 to 1 as top debutant, I like him better as 22 to 1 as the top Euro point scorer. Because I was going back and looking at Ryder Cups over the past 20, 25 years. There is a tad bit of randomness in who the top points earner is, with the exception of Poulter doing it for three Ryder Cups. I see him at 22 to 1 as the top Euro point scorer. If he's able to win his first match, maybe get four matches, eke out three and a half points, is there an argument to be made or should I just move on? Uh, I personally do not love it. Uh, yeah. I, I can't imagine they trot him out in uh, the morning four ball. I mean, he's a great striker of the golf ball, but he really struggles on the green. He can't make putts really. 
And so I can see him more so in that foursome setting. And if he loses that initial foursome match, it, yeah. it could be tough for him to get back uh, before singles. And like I said at the top, the Europeans have no reservations about benching a guy if they lose. Like they've done in the past. They want to win. It's cutthroat for them. It means more to them. And so I personally don't love it. I, I'm trying to you know figure out as we get closer who's going to play the most matches. And I kind of look to – I think the Europeans need to trot out Rory, Rom, and Hovland every session and just go from there. And I'm, I'm trying to predict who they might pair with those three guys to try to get, you know, better odds since those are the top three on the board on the European side. Yeah, that was, that was a very kind way to say, Joe, that's stupid. Don't do that. So I appreciate <laughs> that. Uh, Tony Finau. So he, he had a sneaky good Ryder cup in Paris. He, he was two and one. It was his debut. We kind of think of Tony as someone, at least before his win in the FedEx cup as someone as, ah, you know, Tony is always around. He's in the top 10, but he can't really get it done. 10 to 1 as the top American, 16 to 1 as the top overall point scorer. I know it's a pretty big launch shot considering some of the Americans on the squad, but considering the profile of Tony, if he gets hot, if he takes care of his single match, do you see some value in him as either as the top American or the top point scorer? Yeah, so this is something I can I can work with. You know, Bern Weisberger, you're kind of testing the waters a little bit. See how crazy <laughs> see how crazy this guy is, but yeah. uh, Tony Finau, I do like a lot. Uh, I mean, you look back to the captain's picks in Paris, it was Phil, Tiger, and Bryson. And Finau was the only one who got points out of out of all the captain's picks, which is pretty crazy. The other guys went 0-9, I want to say. And he throttled Fleetwood, who was a darling that week. He won 6-4. Uh, and four. And so, yeah, I mean, the form's definitely there. The win obviously brings a ton of confidence. He was a, uh, finished inside the top 10 in 2015 here. The course fit is like beautiful for someone like Finau. It's really just about the opportunities. And if he gets opportunities, he's, you know, he's going to put up a really good fight. He's going to be a tough out in this type of setting. Uh, and it, it's just something you got to gotta listen to the Stricker interviews, you know, leading up to the event and kind of try to guess what he's going to do. Uh, like I said, I think Spieth and Thomas might get, you know, all five under their belts. Cantley and Xander are another duo. I know they're rookies, but really good buddies. We're just out in wine country, USA. Uh, hopefully that, you know, doesn't hurt their game too much. But, uh, you know, they're a duo that, you know, might get four or five sessions as well. So that really limits it. I will say the one thing you do have going for you on the United States side when you're looking at these top points getters, what the heck's going on with Brooks Kepka, right? Like, is that guy even on the property? We've seen those Ryder Cup videos and he's nowhere to be seen at Whistling Straits right now. And then Morikawa's really fallen off. Uh, I mean, he came into the FedEx Cup as number one in the playoffs, miscut, dead last in Baltimore, close to last at the Tour Championship. Uh, obviously, there's that nagging back injury from Tokyo. So I don't really know where he is either. So that kind of limits it to kind of 10 players you're picking from. And Tony Finau is as good as any of them, uh, especially if you're getting 10 to 1 for US and 16 to 1 overall. So, yeah, I really like that bet. Awesome. Nick, I got a few more. Uh, can't lay. Keep, yeah, keep, keep going. Yeah, can't keep, lay I like this. Seven and a half to 1 as the top American. Arguably the best form of the world, maybe with the exception of John Rahm right now. I know that there's some competition out there, but I got to imagine Patrick, Patrick's going to get out there five times. Yeah, I'm in on this bet already, actually. Nice. <laughs> so, 
so I'm glad we're in on this together. And yeah, like you said, I mean, I don't, I don't know how you can sit him given, you know, well, yeah, how he's playing, but the way he's putting the ball is freaking unbelievable in an, a match play setting. Like I would love to see him go against Poulter one way or another. I think, you know, the golfing guys will put him against John Rahm in the Sunday single somehow, which will be funny, but I'm, in this setting, you would think he's just so solid. He doesn't make a ton of mistakes. He doesn't give you anything that you can take, you know, like maybe a tell on his face or anything. And I think if the United States wants to, you know, put out Spieth and Thomas first, uh, maybe the first day and second day to really get the crowd going, I'd back end it with Cantley and Xander uh, both times to just stone cold killers on the back end who you know you're going to get solid tee to green play from. And the way Cantley puts the ball and if Xander's putter comes around, I mean, I don't see a team on the European side uh, that can really keep up with them if John Rahm's not really on it, right? Every time Patrick Cantley is, is on my TV, he's making a 25-foot putt, and the announcers are saying um, he has to warm up for like four hours before his round because of this crazy back injury from like eight years ago. Do you see him with, with that all, all that considered playing 90 holes in three days? That's that's a very good point, and it's something I am worried about. Um, but I mean, you have to admit, admit these guys aren't going to go out there, and Stricker is going to be like, "Can you go again?" I can't really see any of these players saying, "No, I can't." Like, regardless of you know how they feel, if they just won, you know, two matches the previous day, it's like, "Can you go?" It's like I'm playing great golf. I'm going to be able to go. And so these guys are so, you know, they have their routines. They have, uh, you know, their physical therapist, everything are, is going to be there. They're going to be fine. And Cantlay is someone who's, you know, he's played in WC match play. He's played in the president's cup. Granted, he only played in the alternate shot for the president's cup. So that's kind of a concern. Uh, he hasn't played uh, or he didn't win. Sorry. That's what I meant. Him and Xander went two and zero in uh, alternate shot, but they lost in four ball both times. So it is a concern, but, with so many injuries with Brooks and, you know, Collins not looking great. I think you can risk it with someone like Cantley, given how well he's playing right now. And we're kind of at a point in the season, right? Where, I mean, these guys are just going to kind of leave it all out there because from here until they hit Kapalua, it's just cash and checks in Abu Dhabi and playing in Tigers tournament. And, you know, maybe making an appearance here or there and just getting those appearance fees. Exactly. Okay, this last one is admittedly in the Weisberger camp of setting money on fire. I, I, I fully admit <laughs> that. We are due. And I've, I, I, I went back. 1969, 1989. Ties. We are long overdue for a tie. At 12 to 1. Come on, Patrick. Give me, give me a little something that we're due here. Just throw like a little tasty 20 bucks on it as an insurance policy. Joe, you can't be doing this to me. Come on. <laughs> Not in my debut. At least have me on, you know, two or three more sure. times. So then we, can, then we can get weird with the best. We just met. Uh, That's fair. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, no, I, I'm, I'm not going to condone such activity to listeners out there. I'm a responsible young man. It'd be immoral against me. I'd have to go to church on Sunday if I placed that bet. Uh, and especially you have – the most talented team in the United States history, you know, on paper, you know, average world ranking is eight or nine, one of the youngest teams. And then on the European side, you actually have one of their worst teams from 
a world ranking perspective. So if there was a year to bet the tie, I would say this might be one of the worst years actually to bet it. <laughs> um, There's our pull quote, but, Nick, grab that, mark that. <laughs> <laughs> that being said, I mean, I've been on a real cold streak myself, so maybe, you know, maybe you fade me and it works out for you. So I'm not going to talk you off the ledge, but I, I personally do not condone it. Okay, Nick. So what I heard was a potential momentum flipper. I am, I am always 17 picking majors for a reason. Yeah. What he said is, you know, the odds aren't great, but a a long shot always hits every now and then. So, so go for it. That's what I heard. Um, you mentioned a few times players' performance from that 2015 PGA Championship. It, it, how much of a, a reference point should that be for betters? Like, should I be going up, looking at those results and see what they did? I mean, it seems like so long ago. And, you know, is, how do I gauge that? I'm, I'm not taking or putting too much stock in it in general. Uh, I think eight of the guys playing this uh, next week weren't even in the field. And then uh, five of the Europeans missed a cut. So I think just like good players are going to show up. Right. And you don't need to look back to speech runner up in the 2015 PGA championship to realize he's probably going to be a good bet one way or another this week. And same with DJ and Kepka, uh, if he's healthy. And so I think at this point, you know, given a year of just watching these guys, there's been so much golf uh, since COVID and everything that, you know, general golf fans have a good sense of what to expect. It's kind of, some of those European guys that, um, you know, the casual golf fan won't realize, like even like a Matt Fitzpatrick, some people might not know. Uh, but I'm not putting a ton of stock in the 2015 PGA Championship. Uh, just, I mean, it's six years ago. And I mean, how old was Victor Hovland then? Like 15 or something like, you know, 17, listening yeah. to screamo music in Norway. So he was on uh, YouTube <laughs> dialing in that swing. So you can look at it if you want as like uh, just a extra, you know, pat on the back or something in your camp if you need some validation, but I want to put too much into it. Anything else we haven't mentioned, Patrick, that you like out there that you're at least keeping your eye on? Yeah, I, let, let me rephrase that. What's what's your favorite bet going into the week? Uh, my favorite bet going into the week is Victor Hovland top Euro at eight to one. Um, and then top overall, I also put a little money on Sergio at 25 and Poulter at 30. Mm. Um, so 30. it's a, oh. tom- it's a, t- I, I mean, Ian Poulter, 14, six and two in his career in the Ryder cup. Uh, I saw I that need a cold shower, Patrick. That is exciting. To I, 30 to <laughs> one. Oh That's exactly how I felt. Thank God. I just went for a run. So I got it all on my system. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's a ton of speculation at this point, given, you know, who is Stricker going to pair with who, who is Harrington going to pair with who. But like I said, the margin for error uh, or the margin for victory is so thin for the European side that I think they have to put out Rory, Rahm, and Hovland in every session. And I like Hovland for that top European, so that's probably my favorite bet. And we've seen that these rookies really, really – you know, thrive in this situation for uh, the European side. You just have to look back to Tommy Fleetwood. So I'll leave you with Hovland, seven and a half to one, eight to one for top European points getter. Okay, folks, ignore everything that I said and do that. Patrick, if folks want to read your good work, where should they go? Uh, Yeah, you can find me at NBC Sports Edge uh, backslash golf. 
I, you know, write previews every week for the PGA tour, sometimes a European tour. And then I'm kind of a ghostwriter for odd shark at the moment. They won't give me the byline. We're still negotiating, but with the good, you know, good voice of the listeners here, maybe I can get that byline one of these days. Uh, (laughs) I appreciate that. That's what I think too. Uh, So odd shark and NBC sports edge is where you can find me and on Twitter at amateur status. There he is, Patrick McDonald. Give him a follow, read his work. Patrick, thank you for class enough to join. We appreciate it. It was a lot of fun. Thanks, guys. Yeah, thank you so much. Well, Patrick is much smarter than us about gambling, so we'd like to thank him again for being on the podcast. Please follow his advice. Follow him on social media. We talked a little bit about Patrick Reed and his omission from the Ryder Cup team. Like I said to Patrick a minute ago, I just think it is riskier to leave him off of the team and you lose as opposed to having him on the team and then you lose. I think if hindsight is in both of those situations, it is worse for Stricker if Patrick Reed is not on the team and you lose. I I feel like Stricker has been thinking about this decision for a long time. I mean, I, I should rephrase. Any good Ryder Cup captain has probably been thinking about this decision for a long time. And it's not one you make individually. You're you're probably polling every single person who's been in a team competition environment with Patrick Reed and saying, look, man, do, do the rewards outweigh the risks? Um, he probably consulted with the vice captains. He probably consulted with the other players. Um, he probably consulted with Harris English, his other packed, his other captain's picks. And the bottom line, you know, Jordan Spies, the, the Phil Mickelsons, the guys who've been around. And he, the bottom line is like, look, you're going to replace him with a top 15 golfer in the world. What, you know, like Patrick just said, the margins are so thin. Round to round, anything could happen from any guy. So from that perspective, I'm sure Captain Stricker just thought it's not worth it. Plus, you throw in the health stuff. I mean, I'm sure that was some pretty serious um, pneumonia, some health stuff going on with him. Um, you take that into consideration. Um, what happened in Australia in the President's Cup? I don't know. I think it all, I, I, I can definitely understand the decision. It's not one I would have made, knowing what I know. Um, but I can definitely understand the decision. And if Captain Stricker made it with like a lot of information and consultation, then I'm cool with it. I just don't agree with it. I think it's overthinking. I think I think it's decision-making like this is why the U.S. is so bad at this competition. They're worried about, oh, well, I don't like Patrick. I don't get along with him. He's bad for the team. You know what he does? He puts the ball on the hole. He beats Roy McIlroy in arguably the most epic Ryder Cup match of the last 25 years. He gets it done. And I'm tired of this attitude of like, oh, he's not good for the team room. He's not good for this. He's not good for that. You know what's not good is the Americans' record in this competition. So maybe the thinking and the way we've been doing things is really, really bad. It's overthinking. Sure, the health, it's an easy scapegoat. But if Patrick Reed was fully healthy and maybe his form wasn't great and then Stricker left him off, it'd be a lot worse. I think the health is a very convenient scapegoat. Yeah. I mean, I, I guess I guess this decision will always be looked back on with Scotty Scheffler's performance. If the U.S. wins, we won't talk about this. If the U.S. loses, it's going to be the number one thing. Even if Scotty is, I don't know, 
let's say he's he's three and zero and, and plays great. There's still five other picks. Stricker had so many picks, and I understand yeah. like, yeah, well, I had to pick this guy. You didn't have to pick anybody. You did things a certain way. And having this many picks and not having Patrick Reed be one of them, if you lose, it'll be the number one question he's asked. It'll be the first thing he's asked, no matter how the event goes. That's what the number one question will be. And I hope he just says, Harris English told me it was either him or me. <laughs> yeah. What what a hard decision. Harris English or Patrick Reed. Um, so the course, we have mentioned it. It's Whistling Straits. It's hosted three PGA championships. They were won by VJ Singh in 04, Martin Keimer in 2010, Jason Day in 2015. Now, I do agree with Patrick's point that he made that what happened in 2015, 2010, that's so long ago. Who cares? Jason Day was the best player in the world when he won this tournament in 2015, or at least approaching that point. Spieth had that crazy year. And now he has basically fallen off the map completely in the golf world. So a lot can change in six years. I agree with that. However, Nick, bad vibes for Dustin Johnson at Whistling Straits. In 2010, he was majorless at this point. He's still very early in his career. I don't even think he had a beard. He birdied 16 and 17 in the final round to take a one-shot lead. He bogeyed the final hole. It looked like he had tied for the lead and to be heading to a playoff. It was this long, drawn-out review that he actually grounded his club because they have these sandy areas at Whistling Straits, and it was sort of ambiguous if they were bunkers or sandy areas, but it was determined that he did grind his ground his club in a bunker just off the edge of the 18th fairway. Johnson admitted that he grounded his club because he thought it was in a sandy area. You know, like they have those out in the desert, a lot of the courses mm-hmm. in Arizona. Be- well, because he did that, um, he played a second shot from a bunker and he was given a two stroke penalty and fell into a fifth place tie. It was one of those things that as the ruling was being made, everyone thought it was ridiculous because no one really thought of it. Like as he was doing it and grounded his club, no one was like, Oh my God, Dustin Johnson's grounding his club in a bunker. It was, Oh yeah, this isn't a bunker. And then it was a bunker and Dustin Johnson got screwed. So I'm not saying it's going to mean anything, but it's a little interesting factoid about this course. I, you said that was 2010, 2010. Yeah. You think, you think DJ remembers that? I don't think DJ remembered what he that's had for a lunch se- today. That's a semi-serious question. No, I don't. I don't think Dustin Johnson is like that. Would be a really funny thing if like you had a uh, trivia contest, like a golf trivia contest between like Brooks and DJ, and you quiz them on things that happened in their careers, and they had to answer if it happened to Brooks or you. You know, <laughs> hey DJ, did this happen to you or Brooks? If, I, I'd love to know if they could, if they'd be able to do that. Like, has Dustin, does Dustin Johnson know who Harry Varden is? Like, does he, no. is he familiar with Walter Hagen's career? No. No, of course not. I love DJ though. I, I, I wouldn't change a thing about him. Um, Nicholas, I've done, I've done some research and this information is readily available. It's not like, is it, are we digging. still talking about the golf course? What's that? Are we still talking about the golf course? I, I was going to move on. Do you have anything else on Whistling Straits? Yeah, I do actually. Great. Uh, thanks. Thanks for asking. Sure. Um, well, yeah. Well, I have some quotes from from Patrick Harrington. Pa- Patrick Harrington. I didn't. I didn't emphasize the D enough in there. I don't want anyone to uh, Patty. attack me. Patty. Um. It, basically, what we've been seeing in the Ryder Cup is home the home team advantage. They set up the course however suits their team. So for the Americans, it means wide fairways, longer holes, fat firmer greens. Um, but it sounds like, according to Patty, that Whistling Straits is not really that manipulatable. 
He said, here at Whistling Straits, this is much more a natural golf course. I'm interested to see down the road what Steve has in store, but it doesn't look like you can do a lot with this golf course. As much as it was obviously designed and built there, it looks like it's just in a natural setting uh, all its life, and it's going to present this way. Even the weather could be very challenge- challengeable the week of the Ryder Cup. So basically what he's saying is, for this tit for tat, you know, building up this home course advantage, um, that might not really be there um at whistling straits it's an interesting point um i i often wonder how much the captains actually jack up the courses in events like this because it is often a media talking point that oh well the captain wants the course set up a certain way to have it be advantageous for his particular squad but strict pick guys who hit the ball a long way like he he made no secret of who he wanted to pick he picked really, really good ball strikers and guys who make putts. And I don't necessarily know of uh, the advantages that he can create here, but it'll be interesting to see if the course changes throughout the week. Patrick mentioned uh, Shane Lowry and perhaps him being neutralized a little bit, sort of his widget wizardry around the greens. Um, but at the end of the day, it's golf, bro, right? I mean... I. I do think a lot of this stuff matters, but I do think a lot of it is really overblown, especially in these international competitions about how much the captains are involved. The fact that there's like seven vice captains for the American team. I feel like the U S just gets paralyzed. Can, can I, can I go on a rant real quick or are we going to continue Please to talk do. about the course? The U S really gets paralyzed. They have these coalitions whenever they have an embarrassing loss. They have this group where, you know, they have all these secret meetings and it's like a shadowy cabal to make sure that they don't get embarrassed and they win these international competitions. Like they brought after they had Tom Watson, they, they brought him out of mouth mothballs and he embarrassed everyone with that terrible loss that they had and fought with Phil Mickelson in the parking lot or whatever the hell happened between those two. Then it just became a thing that, all right, well, the U S is going to start taking this seriously. Well, that hasn't really worked out. Um, the U S Nick, you know, the last time the U S won the Ryder cup in Europe, mm, like probably the early two thousands, 1993, John Daly has won a major more recently than the U S has won a Ryder cup in Europe. That is the best context you possibly could have put that in. John Daly has a better record in Europe over the past 30 years. than The U S Ryder cup team does because he won the British open at St. Andrews in 1995. It's insane to me how bad their record is. So there was a format change in the Ryder Cup. Do, do just, just a tad bit of a history lesson here. There was a format change in the Ryder Cup in the mid-70s. It used to be America versus England. Then they made it America versus England, excuse me, Great Britain and Ireland. So it was U.S. versus GB&I, and they kept getting their ass kicked by the U.S., and eventually it became the U.S. versus Europe. Since that change was made, the Europe has dusted the U.S. in this competition. So I took it from 1987, Nick. That change came in 1979. I took it from 1987 because that's when the official World Golf rankings were introduced at at the end of 1986 and in 1987. So you can really sort of crystallize which team was better based on world rankings. And since that happened, the average ranking of the U.S. team is 18 in those Ryder Cups. The average ranking of the Europe team is 31. So the U.S. on paper has had a better team by a pretty significant margin over those years. The U.S.'s record in Europe since 1987 is 1-6-1, and Europe is 4-4 in the U.S. So Europe 
has been able to win half of the Ryder Cups in the U.S. The U.S. has been able to win one since 1987. The, the, the one that was a tie in Europe, can we confirm if the United States retained that cup? Europe retained the cup. Mm. Yeah, I know. It pisses you off, doesn't it? Yeah, ah. Europe retained the cup. So I think it's a question that we always try to answer around this time because the U.S. record is so bad, and ostensibly they have a better team. Why is the record like this? Why does America have such a poor record compared to Europe when on paper their players are better? It has to be more the camaraderie, Nick. I I have a theory, but do you have a theory on this? I've got I've got a couple theories. I don't really have a solid theory. I think I think there is probably some more of that home course advantage setup going on in in Europe than in the United States, at least up until 2012. Um, I think that match play is a lot more prominent in Europe and, and guys probably grow up with like that kind of mindset and mentality in the United States, even though, you know, the big events end in match play the the junior amateur, the U S amateur, um, you know, I, I don't think it's the mindset of the American players growing up. I think they're more into the four rounds of individual stroke play tournament golf. And so I think they're a little bit more out of their element, but eh, that's not like a, a great theory. I feel like you've got a, a lot, a, something a lot better cooking over there. No, I, I actually think that, that that's pretty good, Nick. Um, but I, I just think it's never something that is mentioned as a part of legacy. We know Sam Sneed has won 82 tour events. We know Jack has 18 majors. We know Tom Watson has five opens. I could go out and find the most knowledgeable golf fan in the state of Oregon and ask them, what's Tiger Woods' Ryder Cup record? They wouldn't have an idea what his Ryder Cup record is. And I'm going to, I got to stop you right there. Go, please. Two things on that. Number one, I think people understand his Ryder Cup record is not good. And number two, I think if it was good, people would know what it was. Really? Arnold Palmer has a strong, strong Ryder Cup record. Now, a lot of that has to do with the era that he played in because the majority, if not all of his matches were before Europe became involved at large. Continental Europe became involved with this. So you're saying because the record is poor, if the record was good, it would be part of his legacy. Like if, if Tiger like had Ian Poulter, like if Tiger was 6-0-1 in Ryder Cup singles in his career, like we would know. If Tiger was like 23-7-4 overall, we'd, we'd probably know. You know, I think we're just generally like, well, Tiger hasn't been very good in the Ryder Cup. It's at the end of a long season and, um, you know, it is what it is. But then doesn't it have to work both ways? If we would know that his record is good, shouldn't we also acknowledge that his record is bad? Shouldn't it be if this is actually a competition that is on par or maybe slightly below the importance of a major championship that happens every two years? Shouldn't we as golf fans acknowledge the fact that Tiger and Phil have been subpar in this competition and that should be part of their legacy? Because I don't think it is or it ever will be. It's not part of their legacy because they've built a legacy on major championships. Right. And but my like, point is if if it was, I mean, like, think about Patrick Reed. Like he's won a Masters, but we think of him about how great he is in the Ryder Cup. Um, and I know he doesn't have you know, 14, 15 majors, but 
he, he's won the masters. He's been competitive. He, he, he gave away a U.S. open. Um, you know, but we think about how, how good he is in the Ryder cup. And he's not even like, what is it? Seven, three and one. Like, it's not even like jaw dropping. It's good, but it's not like insane. Like if tiger or Phil were like something gaudy, like 18 and four and, and two in the Ryder cup, like I, I think they would have that like persona and, and, and that aura that, that they go into Ryder cup thinking like this guy is unbeatable. But since they don't, we're just like, ah, I mean like Ian Poulter, same thing. Like we look at him and like, He's got a Ryder Cup legacy because we know he he's gonna gonna perform. So I, I think if, if the Tigers and the Phils had that record, like we would recognize that. But since they don't, what, who's gonna say like uh, Tiger? He's a bum. He hasn't performed in the Ryder Cup. Yeah, he's got 15 majors. Who cares? Yeah, but it's not it's not necessarily that he's a bum. It's that Tiger and Phil are the most important American golfers of the last 30 years. And they both have losing records in the Ryder Cup. And you're right. Because they've combined for, what is it, 21 major championships? Yeah, that's obviously going to outweigh being slightly below average in the Ryder Cup. But if this is a metric by which a professional golfer is judged, because it is the most important international competition that exists, and it is something that has existed for 100 years, and America allegedly cares a lot about it because there's a lot of coverage. There's a lot of thought that goes into the captains and the picks is something that is covered. And we talk about the Ryder cup standings and we talk about the venues and it's supposed to be this thing that golf fans really, really, really care about. And if it's something that golf fans are really, really, really supposed to care about, then tiger and Phil being not good at it should also make a difference. And I would say because Ian Poulter and Sergio Garcia have not performed well, with the exception of Sergio's Masters win and some decent international wins. But Sergio, I think, by and large, has underperformed in his career compared to his talent. Because those guys don't have those great individual records, we point to the Ryder Cup as the thing that is what is meaningful for them. Patrick Reed's career is somewhat incomplete. He's still relatively early in his career. Perhaps it'll get to a point where Reed wins four or five majors, and that will be more important than whatever his Ryder Cup record is. I absolutely guarantee it. Patrick Reed could go 7-0 and in the Ryder Cup, and if Patrick Reed wins four, five, six majors, the majors will be the headline. It'll be his tour wins. It'll be something else, and then his Ryder Cup record. That just, to me, is how we look at this, and that's why America doesn't win. We don't care. We just don't. I'm never going to be convinced that America cares about this as much as Europe. Do you really think Americans care about this as much as Europeans do? I'm going to go with the naive answer and say, yeah, like, yeah. Well, I have to say you, you came out red, red, hot, red, hot, excited for this. And I believed it. I, that, that to me was a very sincere reaction, but the way that I look at the Ryder cup is it's the masters. It's the U S open. It's the British open. It's the PGA. There's a gap. And then it's the Ryder cup. It matters more than the Players' Championship. That's what I say about the Ryder Cup. There's no way this matters more than a major. Yeah, to to, to the me, players. To, to me. To you? To me. Wow. And, and I, to players. And, and to players. I'm sorry. If you if you gave... Who's, no, I, who's, I agree. I, I agree that, that there's probably a half dozen European players who would rather go 4-1 and one in the Ryder Cup than didn't win the PGA championship. 
And I don't think there are any American players who who would take that trade off. You think Brooks Kepka would give up one of his majors for winning the Ryder Cup in Europe, like in Italy in 2023? You think Brooks gives a shit that they haven't won the Ryder Cup in 30 years when they get to 2023 on European soil and say, hey, Brooks, you take one of those Wanamakers, you give it back. You guys are going to win the Ryder Cup. He... Before you finish the sentence, he would have turned around and put a dip in his mouth or something. He doesn't care about that. Brooks cares. Brooks Kepka cares more about winning the Phoenix Open than he does winning the Ryder Cup. Wow. Wow. That's Brooks. Joe. That's Brooks specifically. I'm sure other players care more than that. But in totality, by and large, they don't really care. And the worst part, the worst part about a Ryder Cup on U.S. soil is if they win, all they're doing is holding serve. If they lose, it's a disaster. If they win, they're holding serve. They have to win in Europe. This matters, but it doesn't matter until they won in Europe. 1993, Nick. I agree. I almost wish it was like you don't get to bring it home until you win on the road. Yeah. Then maybe yeah. we care a little more. I love it. I think my – I'll add this caveat to my, you know, crapping on the Ryder Cup for the last 10 minutes. I think it's really fun. When you do get something like the Reed McElroy match that's so epic, it is it is incredible because it's so hard to get one of those moments organically in golf. It really is. I think if I attended one in person, I'd feel a lot differently about it. I do think it's something that you can't fully capture on television the way you can in person. Like even watching, like when you watch the President's Cup or the Solheim Cup, just being able to cheer on the first tee and like booing golfers. Like if Poulter, you know, puts his Poulter is, is a great heel. He, he, he revels in this stuff. And I do think that if I was to be there and feel the energy and the electricity in person, I'd have a different perspective. Yeah. I, I do love the event and watching the Solheim cup last week was like, I, I've never, I've rooted for golfers before. And like, obviously you're there, therefore rooting against, you know, their opponents, but like I'm rooting against the Europeans to miss this putt, miss this putt, miss this putt, you know, and it's like it's just so different of a of a consuming experience for a golf fan than, than any, any anything else. All right, Nick, who wins? Europe. I mean, it's. I, mean, I look at these. I look at these rosters. And I'm like, I, there is almost no chance the United States wins. No chance. Wow. I mean, I just can't see it. I just can't see it. Nick, I see Europe, and I know that Patrick advised us to not take the tie. I am going to do that. I'm, I'm going to put five bucks on a tie just because I'm a psychopath. <laughs> but Europe, I see a plus 225. I, it feels like a pretty good bet to me. Plus 225, yeah. Europe? Sounds, uh, sounds real good. A couple of turncoats here on At The Turn. Hey, folks, remember... If you're listening to this on Apple Podcasts, you have a chance to win my golf balls. I'm giving them all away. All you have to do is rate and review. Give the podcast five stars. Leave who you think is going to be the top points earner for the Ryder Cup overall. You heard Patrick. He gave you all the good information, so you should be ahead of the game. Be the first person to leave correctly the top individual points earner on a review on Apple Podcasts. Giving us five stars. We'll send you three boxes of golf balls. Our thanks to Matchstick Golf. Use promo code TURN15 at checkout. Precision Pro, TURN10 at checkout for $10 off. Am I forgetting anything, Nick? That's it. Enjoy the Ryder Cup. 
I'm going to make a lot of bets. I hope Lacey's not. Lacey, if you're, if you're still listening, um, I'm not going to make bets. These are, this is just for entertainment only. I'm going to make bets. <laughs> Enjoy the Ryder Cup, everybody. Enjoy. Go USA. I know we said Europe, but it's still go USA. We want USA We're still to win. rooting for USA. Absolutely. Who's your top point center? Give me your top point center. Um, I, I, man, you put me on the spot. You think I prepared for that? I could see like, I, I almost want to say like Jordan Spieth. Yeah. I don't, know. I don't think Cantlay is going to play more than three matches. Wow. Um, I think it's yeah, Cantlay. I'm, I'm, you I'm think going it is? With, I don't think he's going to play more than three I'm going to do those Fino Cantlay bets. I like those. Yeah, Fino. I, I could see Fino. Um, I could see Come Jordan on. Spieth. I would, I'll take Jordan Spieth. That, that, that just reminded me. Of that. You, 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 you got Jordan Spieth? Yeah, officially. That just reminded me of that Poulter bet. 30 to 1 top points earner. Oh, mm. that would be tasty. What a what a delicious way to lose the Ryder Cup for the U.S. team, having Poulter <laughs> at 30 to 1 as the top <laughs> points earner. That sounds like a lot of fun. Hey, enjoy the Ryder Cup. Our thanks again to Patrick. He was great. He was, uh, he was, he was a lot more knowledgeable in what he said about the bets than we were, that's for sure. I'm Lacey Evans. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time at The Turn.